This is the Food Factor Podcast, the show that talks about the connection between your health and what you eat or don't eat. I'm your host, Stephanie Mahachek, clinical nutritionist, health coach, science nerd, perma student, and mother of four. I love dogs, babies, and most of all, talking about all things health, wellness, and the weirdness of the human body. Thank you for being here. Hey there, welcome back to another episode of the Food Factor Podcast. I am your host, Stephanie Mahachek, and I am doing another replay episode this week. It is a holiday week, so I took a little bit of a hiatus, a little bit of a vacation, and I wanted to replay this episode. It was one of the most downloaded episodes, but it's been a while. It was, I think, episode 15 or something like that, so it's been a while And sometimes those episodes get buried, unless you're one that goes back and listens to every single episode from the beginning. Um, You may have missed this one if you haven't done that. So this episode, I wanted to replay this one specifically because one, I think the information is wonderful. And two, I have been hearing a lot more, sadly, of cases of non-alcoholic fatty liver disease popping up in children. And It's something that is not on the radar for most parents or grandparents. It's just not on your radar. You think non-alcoholic fatty liver, you think any liver disease is such an adult disease that you probably don't have to worry about it with your children. But sadly, that's not the case anymore. More and more children are being impacted and affected by non-alcoholic fatty liver disease for the reasons that I list in this episode. So instead of doing an entire other episode on the same topic, I wanted to just replay this to give everyone a chance in case, again, you haven't gone back and listened way back to the previous episodes. This is a replay of that because the information is still valid and it might be relevant to you now. So I hope you enjoy this. And I wanted to highlight too that the children, if you have children who have issues with nutrition, or if they are struggling with figuring out what to eat, or if you're struggling with figuring out what to feed your kids, or maybe your kids are starting to show an interest in nutrition, but you just don't know what to do or how to help them or how to teach them, that is why I created the upcoming Nutrition Summer Camp for Kids. And I will post the link for that in the show notes or below. And you can also find it on my website at foodfactornutrition.com. But that is what I am here for. I am here to teach your kids or your grandchildren or your kids of friends, whoever, that how to eat healthier, how to get curious about food and how to connect the dots between what their bodies is telling them and how to feed themselves and also how to come at food and nutrition with a curious mindset and a detective mindset. And that is what the whole summer nutrition camp for kids is based on is being a curious detective and figuring out food and nutrition and food labels and what's in your food and how to feed your body. So if you are interested in that, uh, it starts coming up relatively quickly in June. So click on the link below, register your kids for that. And it's going to be a blast. It's going to be so much fun. And I look forward to having all the kids in there. So I will let this episode start and please reach out if you have any questions. I want to know what we're doing. What are we doing today? Are you taking me for a walk? Are we in the car? What are we doing? I actually heard somebody say that uh, she listens while she gets ready for work. So hey, have a good day at work. So today on this podcast, it's going to be a little bit different. I'm going to get a little bit more technical and a little sciencey than I normally do uh, because it's so important. I want I, I really find it beneficial when you know the how and the why behind things. So if that's your jam, cool. If not, 
cool. Hopefully stick around anyways. I want to talk about a topic that you may not have even heard of, but there's a high chance that at some point you will likely know somebody who has it. And that condition is called fatty liver disease. Now, before you think, oh, this episode isn't for me, I don't drink alcohol, or uh, my family doesn't have liver issues, hear me out. There is a version of fatty liver disease that is an equal opportunity impactor, and that is called non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. I want to spend some time focusing on this condition because it has a direct tie to nutrition, and even more terrifying, it's affecting our children in record numbers. So let's take a step back for a second and talk briefly about what fatty liver disease is. I always like to keep things, of course, as simple as possible because when things start to become too complex, you're less likely to share the information and share how important it is. So I want to keep it super, super simple. So at the simplest definition, fatty liver disease is a buildup of fat in the liver. Now you may think, well, so what? My liver is a little fluffy or it's a little chubby. We aren't talking about an adorable bunny here. We are talking about a critical organ that's used in well over 400 functions in the body. This is one thing on your body that you do not want anything building up in it. If those uh, cells in the liver, they're called hepatocytes, have an excess of fat stored in, in or around them, they can't function properly and they can even die off. Also, fatty streaks form and can turn into cirrhosis or hardening of the liver, which, as you can imagine, is not a healthy feature. Um, Now, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease is relatively new. Back in the day, you know, decades ago, fatty liver disease was associated with alcoholics. When we all hear cirrhosis of the liver, you automatically think alcoholic, right? Well, it turns out people were developing similar symptoms and similar issues, and they didn't drink, specifically children. Children aren't alcoholics, and they were developing the same characteristics. So they developed, they they looked into it even more and dubbed the term non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, very similar characteristics and process as fatty liver disease, but it's with people who do not drink alcohol. So hopefully that kind of clears that up. So just to give you an idea, some of the liver's functions include clearing the blood of toxins and other harmful substances. Um, It it helps to remove bacteria from the blood and it has an immunological kind of components to it. It produces bile, which helps with fat digestion and breakdown, um, production of certain proteins and cholesterols and fats that are used by cells all over the body. A lot of times when people say they have a cholesterol issue, I kindly defer their attention to their liver because it's a liver issue a lot of the times. Um, blood clot regulation, it helps produce some of those uh, proteins that help with blood clotting. Uh, and it stores glycogen, which is an energy source and other, of course, vitamins for the body to use later. There's many, many more functions. Like I said, there's over 400. Um, but our livers can be thought of kind of as like a factory that's working 24 hours a day. It's also a part of the body because of the load it takes on that can be most subjected to injury. So, You 
want this particular powerhouse of an organ to be firing on all cylinders. It's very, very important. So what happens when it's not? In the case of non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, you could feel symptoms like fatigue and abdominal pain. Super vague, right? (laughs) Those could be a million things. But many times there are no symptoms, which is even scarier. I've known people who have no idea their liver isn't healthy until they happen to go into the doctor for something else and the liver enzyme levels are completely out of whack. But same as the discussion that we had around blood pressure a few episodes ago, which also can have no symptoms, just because you don't feel a symptom doesn't mean immense damage isn't being done. So always kind of think that. Now, of course, there are risk factors associated with this disease. Some of those are uh, elevated cholesterol and triglyceride levels, metabolic syndrome, if you've been diagnosed with that, uh, PCOS, uh, people who have type 2 diabetes, there's a strong link with insulin resistance and non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. Uh, Hypothyroid is another risk factor. And of course, obesity, which kind of is linked to many, many conditions. Uh, Previously, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease was thought to be an issue of overeating and under-exercising. But as researchers looked closer into it, they determined that it's not entirely the case. Although obesity may increase the risk for developing it, there are those people without obesity who also develop it. And it's directly related to the types of foods being eaten. This is yet another example of how it's not just about calories in versus calories out. It's about food quality. I don't know how many times I need to scream that from the rooftops, that it is not a calorie issue. It's a quality issue of those calories. Anyways, off the soapbox. Here's where I want to spend a lot of time is with the new, the food quality part of it. Specifically, there is one component of food that is being heavily linked to the development of non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. Can you guess what it is? If you've heard me talk in person or on the podcast about sugar, you will know what this is. It's fructose. I, thought, I bet you thought I was going to say sugar. <laughs> it's fructose. The rise in the consumption of fructose in the last few decades is being closely studied to the parallel increases in things like metabolic syndrome, but also non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. Our bodies simply weren't designed to process the amounts of fructose that it's currently being exposed to. Now, you may be thinking, but wait, I thought fructose is from fruit, so we shouldn't eat fruit. Yes and no. (laughs) Fructose is found in certain fruits and vegetables, But as you can probably imagine, Americans are not overdoing it on fruit consumption. The source of fructose for most Americans is in the form of sugar and sugary drinks. When you look at table sugar, as I talked about in the sugar episodes uh, seven and eight, so if you need to go back and listen to those, please do. Um, We zeroed in on the molecular form of sugar, table sugar is a molecule of glucose and a molecule of fructose stuck together. That forms table sugar. Two molecules stuck together. When you eat the sugar, you have an enzyme that breaks those molecules apart. The glucose molecule 
heads into the bloodstream to be used by the cells in our body. This is what blood glucose and uh, blood sugar measures. The fructose, on the other hand, is sent to the liver. The liver is the only place that can process and metabolize fructose. So that's kind of important to remember. It's the only place that can truly break down and do something with the fructose. Now, when you have, say, an apple, you get a bit of naturally occurring fructose, but you also get supportive nutrients and fiber. Fiber helps to bind to the fructose molecule and be uh, escorted out of the body by way of the digestive tract. It's a supporter of healthy fructose processing. That's what you can kind of consider that as. Guess what doesn't have fiber? Sugar. (laughs) No fiber in sugar. So all of that fructose is being sent to the liver. Now, for those of you who are intuitive and kind of can connect the dots on why non-alcoholic fatty liver disease and fatty liver disease are so directly linked is because alcohol is also processed in the liver. Ethanol, it was alcohol, also processed in the liver. Same as fructose, also processed in the liver. The difference is ethanol can also cross that blood-brain barrier in the brain and fructose cannot. So that's why it's the same method of metabolism when breaking down the ethanol versus the fructose, but you don't get the buzz with fructose. It doesn't cross the blood-brain barrier like ethanol does. Just a side note, total fun fact. I know some people really like to connect dots on different things, so I wanted to highlight that. So sugar is a problem for a number of reasons in America. We just talked about that. We lead the world in in sugar consumption. This isn't new information, but so many people focus on the calorie aspect of sugar. We need to be looking at the impact on our physiology and the health of our organs in relation to sugar. It goes so much deeper than weight gain. So much deeper. So back to the sources of fructose in our diet. So we have sugar, which we just talked about, which as you know, is in a lot of things. Sodas, candy, baked goods, cereals, breads, sports drinks. It's added to medicine even. Um, It's a problem. But if that wasn't already bad enough, Americans found a way to sweeten sugar. (laughs) Like, how ridiculous is that? Food manufacturers took sugar and zeroed in on the fructose and turned it into a concentrated form called high fructose corn syrup. You've, you're familiar with this, right? You're, you've heard of this. This is one and a half times sweeter than regular sugar and argue, arguably cheaper to make to add to foods. Now, again, sucrose or table sugar is 50% glucose and 50% fructose. It's one sugar mo- or one glucose molecule and one fructose molecule combined. High fructose corn syrup is 45% glucose and 55% fructose. So it's got more fructose. That's why it's high fructose corn syrup. So more fructose. And remember, more fructose is more taxing on your liver. The liver has to process it. So not only now are we faced with sugar being in a lot of the foods that we eat regularly, but now we also have high fructose corn syrup in a lot of things that's, that's adding to that burden. And let's talk for a second about fruit juice. Remember, when I said fiber is a helper in processing fructose, right? Fruit juice, even those made with 100% juice, have a whole lot of fructose and zero fiber. 
So fruit juice is simply flooding your body with fructose. Keep in mind too, all the food products that say sweetened with fruit juice, basically what it should say is sweetened with fructose. But as we just talked about, is that really a healthy option? Now that's not even talking about some of those brands of quote unquote juice that is also then sweetened with sugar. And what is sugar? Half fructose. So you get the fructose from the fruit and you get the fructose from the sugar. It's, it's, it adds up in a, in a big way. So anyways, when we talk about non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, there is a rapid increase in this disease being diagnosed in children. And the researchers are linking it back to the high amounts of fructose and sugar in our kids' diets. Think about it. They are bombarded all day long with sugar. It's not just a matter of calories. It's a matter of what happens when certain food molecules come into our body and get broken down, right? It's that it, it has an impact. But think about how much sugar, which is half fructose, our kids are exposed to. You got it in sugary cereals. Remember back in like the 80s and 90s when they promoted like, I think it was like Frosted Flakes or whatever cereal. It was like part of a great balanced breakfast. And they had a glass of orange juice and a glass of milk and like Frosted Flakes cereal and like maybe an an orange too or whatever. And it was just like, it's, it's incredible to see that looking back on it, that was considered healthy. Um, But so our kids are exposed to that. They have the sugar added in the cereals. You may give them fruit juice. Maybe they do have also like a, a piece of fruit or something like that. Then they go to school and maybe they're getting, you know, a sports drink that they're sipping on all day. Maybe they're also getting gummies as a snack, maybe that are sweetened with fruit juice or have sugar in them. Um, Then at school lunch, school lunches, you know, we don't know a lot of what's in there. I look at my kids' school lunches and some of them are okay. And some of them I'm like, yeah, you're bringing lunch from home. Um, It's just the additives that are in the school lunches. A lot of that stuff they want the kids to eat. They add sugar to it. Chicken nuggets add sugar to it. Um, They're also given the opportunity to have beverages at lunchtime, which uh, in my kids' school, I was told was either chocolate milk, white milk, maybe water, and I think a juice option. But how many kids are going to pick water? Probably not many. Uh, especially when those are the options. So you got sugar-sweetened milk, you got all these things. And then then they might have a snack when they get home. Maybe it's something sweet. Maybe it's like a bar or maybe it's, you know, something that has sugar added to it. And then you have dinner and then you have dessert. And all the while, maybe they're sipping on juice or sodas or sports drinks. And it's it's a huge impact on their little tiny systems. They cannot handle all of the fructose. So it is being diagnosed in kids really, really young. I think the youngest, when I was doing the research on this, I think the youngest that was reported was five, five year olds being diagnosed with non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. So is that the case for everybody? No, but it's happening. And that is something to take note of and be aware of. Um, You know, just that impact on what is coming into our kids' bodies and what is it doing to their bodies? And what does that look like long-term for their long-term health? So to recap, The increase in sugary foods, drinks, and use of juice-sweetened items have been linked to the increase in non-alcoholic fatty liver disease in adults and children. Our bodies simply cannot tolerate the levels of sugar that we expose it to on a regular basis. And when you talk about the tinier little humans that we're all trying to raise, it has a big impact on them too. 
This doesn't mean, though, that you need to cut out fruit, uh, but just pay special attention to what is in your food and what is making certain foods sweeter. What do you do if you think this could be a problem for your kids or your family? So I'm going to go over a few action items that you can kind of look at and, and maybe take note of this week because I, you know, I love giving you homework. I love giving you some action items to implement what we're talking about, implement what we're learning. I know this, this is a heavy topic. I know that this goes way deeper than you probably ever thought. And it actually, this, it can go so much deeper. We didn't talk about some of the enzymes and some of the uh, oxidation that happens in the liver. We don't need to do that. But Um, A couple of the things that I want you to take away from if this is something that you feel is impacting you or your family, here are some action items. So number one, start by simply just taking a look at how many items you are consuming regularly that either contain sugar, which again, half fructose, or if they have high fructose corn syrup in it, which ones of those could you possibly start to swap out? But simply just being aware of them is the first step. But then what what ones of those could you maybe swap out? Do you need three sodas per day? Or could you reduce this to maybe one soda and replace the others with like an herbal tea or a bubbly water or something else? Um, so that, that would be the first step. Awareness is always the first step. Just simply how much sugar or how much sugary foods or drinks are you taking in or are your kids taking in on a regular basis? Number two part of this action item would be focus on other areas of your diet that may help support your liver. Key areas would be fiber. Fiber is one of the things that most of us are not getting enough of. In fact, um, I think I saw a stat that the average American adult gets anywhere from 10 to 15 grams of fiber a day when the average American adult needs 25 to 35 grams of fiber a day. So um, that is coming in way short on something that really helps to protect the liver from different things like fructose. Um, Other things to pay attention to would be antioxidants, anti-inflammatory foods, and phytonutrients. I know I talk a lot about those specific words, but there's reason for that. How many of those are you getting in your diet? How How many servings of vegetables and brightly colored vegetables are you getting in your diet? There's a reason for that. It has all of those anti-inflammatory, antioxidant, supportive nutrients that help to restore and uh, provide value to your cells that they can then use to fight off oxidative things um, and things that are, are not beneficial for it. It helps to boost the health of different organs and different cells. So how many of those are you currently getting in your diet? Is there room to add in another serving of vegetables? Is there room to add in some anti-inflammatory foods like salmon or avocados or walnuts, nuts and seeds, that type of thing? Where can you add some of that in? So reminder, if you need help figuring out this or you're not sure where to start, schedule a free consultation with me. We can talk about your concerns and your goals for you or your family's health, and we can work together um, and we can talk about how we can work together to get you on the right track with that. I hope this was helpful. I also want to quickly talk about that survey that I sent out to those of you who are on my email list or uh, if you're in my Facebook group, you may have seen that post. I sent out a a request for you to fill out a survey and I appreciate the responses so much. Um, It was just three questions long. If you haven't filled it out yet and you want to just take one minute and fill out those three questions, it's super helpful. It helps me to direct the information that I'll be bringing to you 
um, so that I know that what I'm talking about, you actually care about and you want to actually, you know, find value in it. This, this whole show is for you. And so I don't want to talk about what I want to talk about. I want to talk about what you want to learn more about and what would be valuable for you. So the vast majority of people who filled out the survey said that you're wanting more info on weight loss and exercise, um, also related to fatigue, digestive issues, and sugar intake. So um, you can definitely expect more episodes related to those coming up in the near future. Uh, Make sure, though, to hit subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already done so, so that you don't miss out on an episode. And if you know anyone who would also be interested in those specific topics, maybe forward this to them so they can hit subscribe and they can listen and they can learn too and not miss out on any future episodes. But again, I really appreciate you for being here and supporting me. And if you have any questions that you'd further like to discuss, please reach out to me. Um, But hopefully you had a great walk or we had a great trip around town or or you're ready to go to work now that you're you're ready that you've been getting ready while listening to this i really have fun listening to the feedback and the comments that everyone has left me so uh, i hope you have a wonderful wonderful rest of the week bye thank you so much for listening to this episode of the food factor podcast it is my personal mission to help people make the best food choices that they can for their particular situation so if you found this episode helpful i would be so grateful if you would share it with a friend or a family member or somebody who needs to hear this information and also leave me a review those are the things that help get this podcast seen and heard by more people who could use the help as well i really appreciate your support thank you so much for listening